0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers, unbelievers. And the Bema seat judgment is for believers. Unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment. God's going to open the books at that time. He's going to search the books and scan the books for for your name, the book of life. And if you're not found in the book, you're going to spend eternity away from him. It's at that time that John tells us in the end of the book of Revelation, John says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Everything you see, everything that was disappears. And Peter says it all disappears by fire. And John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we all live happily ever after. That's the order of events. It's not that difficult. Now, in our passage, you want to notice again, I had you point out that word then. Notice in your Bibles in verse one, Jesus says, then, then what? At his return on the clouds with power and great glory, the kingdom of heaven is like parable. Here's application, like parable. Ten virgins or ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, listen, in order for you to understand this parable, you have to know a little bit about Jewish custom and about Jewish uh, wedding ceremonies. First of all, in the Jewish culture, Jewish marriages were arranged, and for good reason. Because Father knows best. Say amen, dad. It's something God gave us. God gave us. That God comes through that door. You know the first question I ask him? Do you have a J-O-B? <laughs> well, no, sir. Well, then get out. Love you, mean it, you got to go. Well, father knows best. See, in a Jewish culture, they, they understood that. Marriages were arranged. They were set up. And so if you had a cute little boy, Yentl, the first name I think of, Jewish. He had a cute little girl, you know, Rebecca. Negotiations began at that time. The fathers would come together and they would settle on a price for the bride. And what determined the price actually was three things. What determined the price was the father's wealth. Was he rich or poor? The bride's worth. Was she worth? In those days, they didn't write checks. She was like worth like a chicken. I ain't making this up. Like or a cow or something. You know what I mean? So what's her worth? Well, she ain't worth more than, you know, five chickens. I'll give you four. No, nope, four and a half. Yeah. So, so, so the bride's worth, right, and the groom's work. In cases where the groom's family was poor or dead, the groom would work to pay the price. So as you're growing up, you know, this little girl down the street who's missing her teeth, it could be possibly your wife, And you're committed to marrying her. Marriages were arranged in Jewish culture, number one. And then secondly, there was an espousal period. It was a year before they actually got married. They went through an espousal period. They were legally married, but they didn't come together. You know what I mean. And it's during this espousal period that if the husband died, the woman was a widow. You might remember Mary and Joseph were betrothed or espoused. So that's why he would have put her away. They hadn't gotten to the wedding yet, which then brings us to the third stage of, of the, the Jewish wedding. It's the actual wedding. Now, Jewish weddings weren't like our weddings. Our weddings, we send out an invitation and you have people RSVP. Jewish weddings were not like that. Jewish weddings had no date set. They had no time set. The bridegroom would try to catch the bride unaware. So the bride needed to be ready. And while she waited, she was preparing. While the bride was waiting for the bridegroom to come and get her, she was making her dress. And she was preparing things and while and, and preparing her lamp. And while she was preparing her dress and preparing her lamp and getting ready for the bridegroom to come, the bridegroom was busy working on a room addition at his father's house. Are you with me? Now, don't you remember when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you. I'm creating a place, a mansion, a house for you. So we have the groom busy working at the father's house. And while the bride was at all the time that the groom is hammering away and getting the room addition, getting the room all fixed up because they're going to live together at the father's house. The bride is getting reports. Hey, man, he got the windows in. (laughs) Hey, man, he's got the doors up. She's getting reports. Because, you know, the ladies are resourceful now. They ain't going to be in the dark. She's getting the word. She's trying to make sure. Because she got to get everything ready. Because when he comes, she's got to be ready. And so now she is ready. And her bridesmaids are ready. And they're all hanging out. And they fall asleep. And all of a sudden they hear bang, 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 bang on the door. Blowing the trumpet scares the woman half out of her wits. People are coming shouting, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh. And the wedding day is here. And this wedding as a bridegroom comes, the wedding takes place under the stars. And they sign a contract under the stars. And the wedding feast then begins for seven days. Then that's what I call a party. <laughs> They Jewish folks know how to party. Don't be deceived. They they know how to party. It's a wedding feast for seven days. The father of the bride, and he's got to pay the bill. The father of the bride's got to pay the bill. For the wedding feast, it lasts for seven days. You gotta feed folks for seven days. The father of the bride gets stuck with the bill. I'm lobbying to change that. Something I don't I should there shouldn't be. You know, we, we have a reception. We feed folks for an hour. I'm buying just enough food for an hour. I ain't trying to fill nobody up. (laughs) Just try and give them a little something. Y'all can go go to Bojangles after after the wedding. You know, you know, no, the Jewish people ain't like that. I mean, they had this thing; it was going on for seven days, and, and, and then notice, and then and, and they had this big party. They had this week-long party at the bridegroom's house. Now, notice in our text, Jesus said there are five virgins or five bridesmaids. Five wise and five foolish. The wise girls took oil in their vessels with their lamps and they brought extra oil in verse 2. The foolish brides only took their lamps without any extra oil. So the reason they were foolish was because they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. That's the simple truth. And it's very interesting because this word foolish in the Greek language is the Greek word moros. M-O-R-O-S. We have the word moron. God said that, not me. He said these guys are morons. Why? Because they weren't ready. Now, of course, you got the symbolism. You have the types. The bridegroom represents who, saints? Jesus Christ. You got it. The ten brides represent, listen, the ten brides represent the church. And I use that term loosely. The church or the congregation. Let's say that the oil represents what the Holy Spirit. Didn't you know? So what we have here, let's put it together. What we have here are true believers in the church with the oil of the Holy Spirit and foolish, false believers without the oil of the Holy Spirit. So you have professors of the faith, but not possessors of true salvation. They are familiar with Jesus, but there's no intimacy with him. Religion, but no relationship. Knowledge without knowing these foolish girls. Now get the scene. These girls are gathered at the bridegroom's house. They're all jittery. They're waiting for the call. They fall asleep on the living room floor. They awaken to hear the bridegroom is coming. They go out to meet him. They grab their lamp. Some scholars believe it was like a lamp with a lantern and you have the oil in it. And then some believe that it might be a torch with rags and you got to dip it. Either way, they grab their lamps, the wicks need to be trimmed and filled with oil, or they grab the torch, and the rags need to be pre-dipped in oil. And you need extra oil to keep it burning. The foolish brides realized they had no oil. They were unprepared. Why? Well, maybe they thought that they might have time to go get some. Maybe they thought when it's needed, they could borrow some. We don't know, but what we do know is they didn't give any thought to the future or what was expected. They asked the wise bridesmaids for oil, and they said, no way. Go get your own. Obviously, these foolish bridesmaids knew that they needed oil, but they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And they asked these guys to let them have some. Now, if oil represents the Holy Spirit, well, listen at the lesson that we learned from this. You cannot, the Holy Spirit cannot be transferred from person to person. Uh, someone once said it like this. God doesn't have any grandkids, just sons and daughters. And you can't transfer the Holy Spirit. And they didn't give them any oil. So notice they were unprepared. And how sad it is, saints, how sad is a very sobering text. How sad it is that many people will be unprepared when the Lord returns. Many people will be unprepared for the rapture. Many people will be unprepared when death comes knocking at their door. And like the foolish virgins, they will look to their relationship with genuine believers they will look to their relationship with genuine believers. They will look to their association with genuine Christian stuff. Well, hey, I was baptized. Well, why didn't I go in there? I was baptized. Well, I went to the first church of the frozen chosen when I was a kid. Hey, how come I missed the rapture? I mean, I was a tither. Uh oh. You mean you can't give enough money to get into heaven? Uh, let me think about it. No. But people think, yeah, I write big checks. You know, if I write big checks. You know, God owes me something. You know, I write God a check for $10. You know, why is $10 a lot of money in church? You know, folks like, you know, $10, God will give you 10 bucks. If you're a good God, I'll give you two more next week. Your money can't get you into heaven. Your baptism can't get you into heaven. Your church membership cannot get you into heaven. None of these things can save you. You can't get to heaven by proxy of someone else's relationship. The only way to get to heaven is that you personally have the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life and you are born again. Amen, saints. That's the only way to get to heaven. The Bible is very clear about that. God's word is clear about that. And so often we're leaning on all these other things instead of leaning on Christ and allowing him to work in us and through us and to fill us and to change us. Not your church membership and not your father who was a minister, or your grandfather who was a minister. None of these things are important in the kingdom of God. The only thing that's important in the kingdom of God is that you possess the oil of the Holy Spirit. And how many people are committed to Christ on a religious, intellectual, social basis? So many people. Intellectual, social, religious basis. God wants you to have a personal relationship. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that many people have a form of godliness, but they are denying the power thereof. And a form of godliness means you are not ready. The rapture could happen at any moment, saints. The rapture could happen at any moment. In any given church, on any given Sunday, if the rapture were to happen, half the people would be gone. Half the people would be gone. And the other half will be sitting there wondering where the other half went. And how sad is this? Not only will half the people be still here after the rapture, but in many churches and many pulpits, some pastors will still be here as well. Wondering where did all the people go? Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't I do this? And Lord, didn't I do that? And I prophesied and I healed the sick and I did all this in your name. And he said, I never knew you. That's a sobering, sobering thing. Now, notice the foolish gave no thought to the future. They carried a torch for the Lord, but they had no oil of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to me and listen to me carefully here. The Bible is very clear. Every born again believer is filled with the spirit. Every believer has the oil of the Holy Spirit and without it, you cannot be saved. Romans chapter eight, verse nine tells us that if you don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you have received Christ, if you are here this morning, listen, if you are here this morning, you've made Christ your savior and you've received him. You have received the oil. You've been filled with the spirit. You are filled with the spirit. If you're not filled with the spirit, you cannot be born again. But although many people, and although every believer is filled with the Spirit, not every believer is Spirit-filled. What do you mean, Rodney? Every believer is filled with the Spirit. Listen close. Every believer is filled with the Spirit, but not every believer is Spirit-filled. Let me explain. There are many, many people who have accepted Jesus in their hearts, and as I said, they are born again. They are filled with the Spirit. But those same people, now listen, they have failed to move on and to allow the spirit of God to completely have control of them. So that now you're, you're walking in the spirit. The spirit of God has control of you. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 tells us, and be not drunk with wine wherein access, but note this, be filled with the spirit. This word filled with the Holy Spirit is written in the present tense. It could be stated, be ye being filled by the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a continual action. You see, when you become a Christian, you are filled with the Spirit. But the Bible says that we are to continue to be filled by the Spirit. There's a continual every day, every single day. God, I need you to fill me today. It's not just a one time event, according to Ephesians chapter five. It's an over and over and over again. And rightly so, we need it, because if we're going to be effective in the world, we're going to minister to people and we're going to be a blessing to people and our lives are going to overflow and spill out on people then we need to be filled. Remember, Jesus stood on the temple steps and he said that he said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He says, and I will give you rivers of living water that will flow. Those that word rivers speaks of torrents of water. God wants our lives to be like torrents of living water. And if that be so, then every single day we need to be filled with the spirit, not just a one time event, but over and over and over again. I need to be empowered. I need to be filled. And some folks, quite honestly guys, are just content to move through life with just enough of the spirit to be saved. Almost like I do with my car. I'm content. And then when I see the red light come on for gas, then I'm just like, okay, now let me see how far I can get on fumes. Say amen, y'all know you'll do it too. You know, how far can I get on fumes now? Because, you know, I, I'm the, I don't feel like stopping and get filled up. I don't feel like it. Well, what's going to happen if you continue to move about on fumes? You're going to run out of gas. So many people do that. Listen let this story as I think it illustrates my point. Frank, driving his Ford Fairlane, would play the fun game of seeing how far he could get without filling up his Ford. He functioned on fumes. Oh, one day he will fill up, though one day. His faith was similar in that Frank would fly into church and sit in the front, fan himself, and fend off conviction and fight off the Holy Spirit. Frank would grab some fume fellowship and then off he'd fly again. Frank was motivated to show his face at church, for it made him feel fabulous. Oh, and because he feared the formidable foot of God, he figured his faith fumes would fare him for a few days. Frank's philosophy with his Ford was, why fill up my Ford when I can fare pretty well on fumes? Oh, one day I'll fill up, one day. But right now I'd rather spend the 15 on fancy floorboards, furry dice, and fudsickles. Frank's philosophy filtered right into his feigning faith. Why be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why fan it into a flame when I can flicker just the same? One day I will fill up, one day. And many people, unfortunately, are like that, just like Frank in their faith. They're just happy to function on Fume Fellowship, coming to church and feeling fabulous than to fill up and fan their faith to a full flame and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says be filled with. With the Holy Spirit. After first service, these two young ladies were sitting right there. And they came up to me and they said, Pastor Rodney, would you pray? It was the sweetest moment I've probably had in this church. They said, would you pray that we are filled? They were friends. We want to both be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're Christians, but we want to be filled. And every Christian needs to have that prayer. God, I want to be filled. I want you to have control of me. See, There's lots of areas in our lives that God doesn't have control over. Don't say amen. And he wants control. And that's that aspect of filling. Now, here's the principle of the parable. I'm coming to a close. Here's the principle of the parable in verse 13. Look at it again in your Bibles. In in verse 13. Jesus has watched, therefore, for, you know, neither the day nor the hour in which the son of man is coming. The principle of the parable is simply be watching and be ready. And just let me share something with you. Ignorance of his time is no excuse for neglect, but a reason for readiness. Well, we don't know when he's coming, so we don't worry about it. We'll just do our thing and party. He's going to come when he's going to come. Don't worry about it. no. Ignorance of his time is no excuse for neglect, but it's a reason for readiness because you don't know when he's coming. That's why you need to be ready. Amen, saints. You need to be ready. And three of the saddest statements in our text our lamps are going out. Notice in verse 11, the door is shut like the ark in Noah. Remember, the door sealed in those who were ready and sealed out those who were not. And then notice. A sad statement in verse 12 says, I do not know you. Man, what a terrible death sentence. I do not know you. So how are you to be ready? You got to have the oil. It's as simple as that. You have to have the oil of the Holy Spirit and you can't procrastinate. You know, it's Satan who would tell you, you I don't need to be born again. It's Satan who would tell you, I don't need to have God to control my life. I mean, he's got enough control right now. I got things to do. I'm young yet. Places to go, people to see. I can put it off. Listen, you can't put it off. Because you don't know. You don't know. The hour, nor the time in which the Son of Man is coming. Don't procrastinate. I close with this story. William Barclay tells this fictional story of a meeting held by Satan, listen, with his demons. And they were trying to figure out how to trick people into eternal damnation and separation from God. And so the first demon piped up and he said, well, tell him there's no God. Well, no, Satan said. All of creation declares the reality of God. People are too smart to deny his existence. A few idiots might get sucked in, but not the masses. When the second demon says, well, tell them there's no hell. No, Satan said, people understand there needs to be retribution and judgment. People won't buy that. And the third demon said, instead of saying no God and no hell, then tell them there's no hurry. And Satan responded, that's it. Go tell them it's no hurry, and we will ruin them by the thousands. And isn't that true? No hurry. No hurry. People have lost their sense of urgency, and they are not ready, and they are not prepared. And, Father, I pray that every person here, Lord, under the sound of my voice, is ready.